It's that time, the Betting Predators Podcast, where our main objective is hunting down the best bets for you. I'm your host, Sleepy J. You guys can find me on Twitter at SleepyJ underscore pregame. Joined here by the NBA expert, the NBA guru, Jay Smoove. You guys can find him on Twitter as well, at Smoove underscore 702. And you can find us both on the best sports betting information site on the web, pregame.com. All right, Smoove, here we go. NBA Thursday. We're going to go ahead and we'll talk a little NBA recap from Wednesday. Atlanta Hawks, they went ahead. They took down the Bucks in game one. And what you and I are going to do, we're going to go ahead. We're going to preview the Suns and the Clippers game tonight. Let's go ahead and start out with the Atlanta Hawks. A team goes into Milwaukee, and they get a win. They gutted that game out. Trey Young, uh, absolutely amazing. 48 points in that game, 11 assists. Did everything he needed to do to go ahead and carry his team to a victory. I didn't really have a whole lot of negative thoughts about the Bucks in this particular game. And going into that game, I felt like the Bucks potentially could be the more physically and emotionally drained team because that's the way that I felt as a fan. I was just emotionally and physically kind of just beat up and tired and exhausted, you know, after watching that Nets series. Maybe it had something to do with me liking the Nets, but I felt like it was just an exhausting series to me. So if it was tired of me, I can only imagine how the players felt. And I felt like the Hawks kind of had a little bit of an easier run with with Philadelphia. So, you know, I liked Atlanta in that game. I liked Trey Young uh, to go in there and have a pretty good game. And a lot of that was circled around the fact that I didn't feel that the Bucks had to see a real point guard yet, you know, in the playoffs with you know, Kyrie going down and Harden not being 100% and, you know, going up against Miami Heat in, you know, in round one where, you know, they don't have a traditional, you know, type of point guard there unless Dragic is, you know, coming off the bench. So I thought Trey Young would give them some trouble. I thought they'd be a little bit tired. I didn't watch the game smooth, to be honest with you. I turned it on in the beginning. I started to get worried. I'm just like, the Hawks are going to blow it. I had a pick on pregame that I sold today. Uh, luckily, that came in and cashed. So I didn't really want to watch. I didn't want to see the bad news. I didn't want to see the Bucks, you know, beat me again. Because as I mentioned, you know, I liked the Nets in that series. I wanted to see the Nets go ahead and move on. So I just I didn't want any part of, you know, watching Giannis dunk and Middleton hit threes. So I didn't really see the end of the game. I didn't see really much of the middle, but I did see the beginning. And when they fell behind the Hawks by around six points, I think it was in the second quarter, I just turned it off and I was just scoreboard watching. So what I saw, both teams were you know competitive in the first quarter, back and forth, back and forth. I didn't really pull any solid information out of that particular quarter, you know, before I turned it off. So I'm gonna turn it over to you. You know, what did you see with Atlanta? How did they win that game? You know, did the Bucks struggle in a particular area? Maybe that I'm not looking at. But what did you make of Game One tonight between the Hawks and the Bucks? Uh, yeah, sleepy. Um, just like Atlanta throughout the playoffs, uh, another a- exciting game. Um, I guess you can call it a a little bit of a, a come from behind win, or you know, a game going back and forth. You know, both teams had their biggest lead of around eight or nine points, but you know, it just seemed like whenever Milwaukee, you know, had control of the game or had a seven to nine point lead and had a chance to uh, try to take it to a double digit lead or something like that. You know, they would, you know, Atlanta would come back down like they've done, you know, against Philly, like they did against New York. Um, you know, they hit, you know, a couple uh, big baskets to either make it a one possession game or to tie it up or what they eventually ended up doing, you know, taking the lead. And, you know, hats off to Trey Young, man. He, you know, finished with, you know, 48 points, 11 assists. I think he's, uh, he's been putting on the show. Uh, I don't, I'm not really sure how the NBA ratings are looking right now for the playoffs. 
considering like, you know, a lot of casual fans, you know, follow, you know, the more known guys like Kevin Durant or Steph Curry, um, LeBron and those guys like that. But they definitely uh, should be tuning in to some of these younger guys coming up, um, making their first times in the playoffs like Trey Young and, and Devin Booker and guys like that because, you know, they're definitely worth watching and, and tuning in because, you know, they're going to be the face of the league here if they aren't already. But, um, you know, Trey Young just, you know, he controlled the tempo of the game. Uh, I think he had 30 points at halftime. Uh, Milwaukee made a little bit of adjustment to try to slow him down, and then he started to get, you know, other guys involved. And, you know, in that second half, you know, Kevin Horder and, and John Collins have, you know, bigger impacts on the game. And, you know, they went in there and stole game one. Um, you know, I – it, it was kind of hard, hard for me to buy into, you know, the Hawks as much as you did, but that was a great play um, just because of, you know, how often they've been down by double digits going back to the, to the Sixer series. But, you know, um, you know, like we've seen them do time and time again, you know, they just find a way to, you know, stick together as a team and, and come back and, and make it a, a ball game. And once they get the momentum of their, on their side, you know, they don't, they don't give it up. So, I think that's credit to you know Nate McMillan and then their star player Trey Young and you know those other guys just just following their lead. So let's stick the series aside for a second. Let's let's dig in a little bit to to Trey Young. I'm not sure what you think, but I don't think that there's a player throughout the entire playoffs that's played better than him. I mean, go through a look at the points he's scored, look at the assists he's had, even the rebounds. You know, we talked when they were playing in that Knicks series where you know I felt like he was a villain. And he was just enjoying that role. And he was out there just basically just killing teams, whatever game it was. And it was just like, what? You know, you can't stop me. And, you know, speaking of the ratings and stuff like that, like he is. He's like, right now he's must-see TV. But what player right now, if you look back smooth, would you say that he probably reminds you of? Because I don't think there's probably a lot of fair comparisons to him right now, like in the league but I feel like there's probably some guys in the past, you know, that we could probably point and say, you know what, playing like that guy can do the things that that guy could do and really, you know, helping his team out. So uh, I thought about it. I picked a player out. I'm curious what you think, you know, who does Trey Young kind of remind you of? And it could be somebody now in the league, but uh, I found a guy from, you know, a couple of years back. Uh, yeah. Just watching them, um, you know, one, first of all, I think, you know, he continues to play the way he's playing, which I have no reason to believe he wouldn't, you know, even be in a, you know, a class of his own, but, you know, just watching him, it's hard not to, for me, not to, you know, think of a, of a, of a Steve Nash, but a Steve Nash, that's a, a little bit more aggressive when it comes to, to scoring the basketball and a little bit more athletic when we're talking about how, how quick he is, um, you know, coming off that pick or in playing in transition. Um, but yeah, I've, Trey Young, he's always been somebody that uh, that I've liked, but um, I thought he had some some things to clean up in his game to where he sometimes he would just take some some shots where he um, didn't need to take. Um, and I think uh, Nate McMillan has been a big help to his game. I've seen his, um, since he's taken over as head coach for the Hawks, I've seen him like clean up and polish a lot of those areas, and he's playing some real uh, really solid basketball under him, and you know has a, a great understanding of knowing when to uh, insert himself into the games and, and take him over um, like we've seen him do tonight. So, um, yeah, even going back to his days in Oklahoma, I think he was one of the 
few players that, you know, led the country in, in scoring and assists. And, you know, this year in the league, you know, he was one of the few players that was, you know, top two in assists and top 10 in, in scoring or something like that. And he's doing it in the playoffs and, you know, doing it in the playoffs is far more impressive because you're seeing the better defenses, the better, you know, players, the the, the game plans and things like that. And, you know, ever since um, the adjustment the Sixers made, um, going back to game two when they tried to put Ben Simmons on him and kind of bothered him with his size and athleticism a little bit. But once he, he was able to make the adjustment to that, um, there's really been no stopping Trey Young. So you really just got to hope that he's off his game. Um, he does too many things well to try to take him uh, uh, out the game or, or limit his impact. You know, he can beat you in so many different ways. And, you know, he's going to be, you know, fun um watching you know the rest of this playoff series and uh pretty much you know the rest of his career you know i'll be honest with you i didn't expect trey young to play at this level i thought he would be pretty good and we both agree that it's steve nash that's kind of crazy that's the first guy i thought about because i had to take a look at a point guard and i'm like you know which point guard was you know able to run up and down and just just wear you out and go ahead and, and move the basketball to where you know, he helped his teammates get better. And I feel like that's one of the things that he's done just throughout these playoffs. Gallinari got better. Collins got better. Capella, I've been down on him, but, you know, he had a big game. Like, he's making the guys around him better, and he's become better, you know, himself. And then if I compared him to, you know, a guy now, I would probably say it would be like James Harden in a sense with the combination of, of Nash, cause he's able to get to, you know, the free throw line and able to make that, you know, that big scoring type of impact on a game where, you know, he's out there cooking from the outside and there's nothing you can do to him. And we've seen Harden, you know, at times be that villain guy too, at times where, you know, he just he takes your heart and, and he, he crushes it right in front of you. And I feel like that that's one of the things that Trey Young is doing right now. And he's enjoying, you know, that particular role. Although we're talking about Trey Young a whole lot, let's not discredit, you know, what the Bucks have done, you know, in these playoffs. To go ahead, they sweep their first series. They go up against the Nets. We know that that wasn't going to be an easy series uh, with Kyrie, you know, healthy for a couple games. Harden, you know, healthy for the last. And KD, you know, doing what KD does, that wasn't going to be an easy series. And I just felt like the Bucks, maybe mentally, physically, were going to be a little bit drained. So I'm not surprised um, that this game was close. I'm not surprised that Trey Young played the way that he did, but I was surprised that Atlanta actually ended up sneaking out this game, which I think that that actually hurts the Bucs, um, you know, going because that seven-game series against the Nets, I, I think that really wore them out and the fact that they didn't get this one. Um, I think they come into the next game kind of wondering who the hell this Hawks team is. You know, how did they get past the Knicks? They had to go on the road and win there. How the hell did they get past Philly? How did they get past us tonight? And I wonder if the Bucks start second-guessing themselves and wondering, you know, how good this team is. How do we defend Trey Young? My gut feeling, Smooth, says you can't give him any room. You have to stop him at the half court, and you need to get the ball out of his damn hands. Because if you give him room, he's going to end up being able to assist the basketball, get to the free throw line, or he's just going to shoot a bunch of threes on you he's going to dive to the basket. So you got to get the ball out of his hands some way, somehow. And we really haven't seen anybody, 
you know, in the playoffs, I would say maybe Ben Simmons, you know, had a little bit of success going ahead and stopping him. But it, let's just say that, that you know, Jay Smoove, you're the coach right now of the Bucks. You're, you know, you're taking over for Coach Bud. What do you do to stop Trey Young? What do you do to limit him? What it would be your best case of action to go ahead and not let him score 48 points or get all his teammates involved, you know, 11 assists or whatever it is. Like there's got to be something that you can do to go ahead and slow him down because if he keeps on continuing to do this, there's no way in hell that the Hawks are going to lose this series. You got to slow him down. So what would you go ahead and do? If I was in uh, Coach Bud's shoes and some adjustments that I would be looking at to make going into game two is, you know, this game I noticed that, you know, Trey Young, a lot a lot like of a lot of the other guards uh, going up against the Bucks would attack, you know, that pick and roll and um, Brooke Lopez playing like that drop coverage that we talked about, you know, going back to, you know, Chris Paul taking advantage of that against the Nuggets when Nikola Jokic was doing that and he was knocking down all those mid-range jump shots. So something that I would do um, as far for an adjustment for the Bucks would you know, I would look to, you know, limit, you know, Brooke Lopez's minutes, you know, if that continues. And I would look to move, you know, Giannis to the five and kind of go like a, a, a smaller lineup with Giannis out there and encourage Giannis to, to you know, not play in the, in the drop style coverage, to play up on the play up on the pick when it's set, um, to, to limit that space that Trey Young is able to see, you know, when he comes off of that pick. And even possibly, you know, trailing and, and trapping it for him to, you know, uh, make him get rid of the ball, you know, with Giannis and whoever's on ball guard and Trey Young, you know, trailing that pick um, to try to, you know, limit his uh, impact that way and, you know, take my chances, um, you know, scrambling and, and rotating out to the rest of the players there to uh, give myself a better chance of, you know, coming away with the win uh, for game two. I have no idea what you're going to be able to do against that guy right now. Maybe go out there and try to get him teed up twice, try to get him ejected. I don't know. But the Bucks are going to have to figure it out, and that's one of the concerns that, you know, we've had is that, you know, Coach Bud at times, he doesn't make the right adjustments or he's slow to adjust. My gut feeling says that the Hawks come into this next game knowing and thinking that they can win, and that's seven and a half points again is just too much. I really think that they're overvaluing the Bucks and undervaluing the Hawks. And I don't see how anybody could really make the argument that, you know, that the line should be seven and a half. They lost the game tonight. They beat Philly as a massive underdog. They beat the Knicks as an underdog, kind of, sort of. But those games were on the road. I mean, this team's winning on the road. So the line to me, they're just, they're, they've been wrong with, with, you know, the Hawks in general. But I felt like, you know, even in that Buck series against the Nets, that some of those lines were wrong too, that they were still just overvaluing the Bucks. I think a lot of that might have to do with, you know, the fact that you have Giannis, you have a healthy Middleton, you know, you have, you know, Holiday out there. Maybe that's why they're kind of overvaluing them. Here's one more quick point. You you brought it up, and it's an excellent point to piggyback off of, of you know, this line just being too high. Uh, it's one big reason why I didn't. You know, play the Bucks and didn't like it, but didn't really necessarily like the Hawks as as much. But it turned out being a great play. But um, I think that they're just pricing this Hawks team like the team before they made the coaching change. And you know, they were a team that was under five hundred, but you know, they finished the season on a on a run where they was winning close to seventy percent of their games. And it's just not the same Hawks team. You know, in the regular season, 
know, the Bucks. I think they won all three matchups or at least two out of the three. I think the same thing with the Sixers, but, you know, when they got into the series with the, with the Hawks, you know, they, they're starting to see that, you know, this isn't, this isn't the same team, you know, they're healthier now. Um, they have a better, you know, understanding of how they want to play uh, the impact that Nate McMillan has had on their defense. You know, they're consistent. Um, and it, it's like you said, it's just not the same team. And I think you see like a team like the Bucks, they're, you know, having to adjust to them on the fly, you know, which is, which is tough to do. And, you know, when you've, you know, seen this team, you know, three times in the regular season, and you see a completely different team when you uh, match up with them in the Eastern Conference Finals. So, again, this line is too high, you know, seven and a half. I think it opened up seven and a half for game one, so there's no adjustment there, and they won outright as dogs on the road. So um, still good value on the Hawks, you know, right now in pregame, listed at seven and a half for game two. Yeah, I, I think the same thing. I think one of the things with this Atlanta team that a lot of people probably aren't taking into consideration is that they're probably playing their best basketball of the year, and their point guards playing like the best player in the league. So there's there's no way that the line should be seven and a half. And look, they might get blown out by 20, but I think that the line should not be anywhere near seven and a half. I made my line for game one four, and I liked Atlanta even with four. I thought the game would be really tight. Um, I thought maybe the score would be, you know, switched around tonight. Maybe the Bucks would go in and get like a two, three, four point win, something like that. I would have been happy with the four points, but seven and a half, just too much. Um, what do you make of Middleton? You know, is he going back to his game one, game two struggles again? I saw he didn't have really a strong game tonight. Holiday looked good. Um, it was just, you know, that one missing piece tonight for that Bucks offense. You know, if they can get Holiday going, they can get Giannis going and Middleton going. Nobody's going to beat that team. I mean, they're too damn good. They're too damn talented. They could do too much. But what do you make of Middleton kind of regressing? Maybe maybe he was the weak link, you know, with with the energy and the and the mentality kind of stuff. Like, what did you see from him tonight? You know, was he like a big factor that that kind of just you know helped the Hawks go ahead and stay in it and end up winning that game? Yeah, I think it was just more of uh, more of the same of what you can expect from Middleton is when you know when he's on and playing really well. Um, the Bucks look like a championship contending team, especially when you have Giannis out there doing what he's doing and uh, and Holiday. And when he struggles like he did tonight, I think he went six of twenty-three. Uh, then it makes it pretty tough. You know, you got good games from Holiday and Giannis, but you know the weak link tonight was Middleton with you know the way that the how poor he shot the ball, and I think that was the difference in the game. You know, they were still able to you know have you know some type of control throughout the game. You know, being up eight or nine points a few different times, but you know, uh, the production that you expect to get out of Middleton on a consistent basis. Uh, I, ju- I just, at this point, I think that's just who he is, um, you know, and you just have to have to accept that. And, you know, the the nights when he is on, you know, those are the games that, that you really got to get, you know, because, um, you know, he's just too up and down. Um, you know, one night I have 35 against, you know, Brooklyn and, and knock down, you know, uh, shots that, you know, helped them win the series. And then the next night, you know, against a Hawks team that really don't have a, a defensive matchup that can, you know, take them out of the game like that, you go six to 23. So um, I would I would anticipate him having a, a, a better game too. Um, that's just kind of what he does. Um, so, yeah, it's just kind of like a wait-and-see approach when it comes to him. You know what drives me crazy about some of these NBA players moving? I'm sure it probably drives you crazy too, is you're going to go out there and you're going to get – you know, Middleton who goes, you know, three for 12 in the first quarter or in the first half, 
And he just continues to go and keep on shooting the ball and shooting the ball. It was like, dude, like you haven't made a three yet. You can't make, you know, you can't make anything inside the lane. Nothing's going down. And you just keep continuing to shoot. Like there has to be like an on and off switch um, for some of these players. And I feel like Middleton's that guy that, you know, like he does run streaky at times. Like if, if they could find that on and off switch at sometimes and say, you know what, here's what I can do to help my team win. Um, I feel like somebody like Middleton, you know, would really benefit, you know, from that. And, and we'll see, see if he'll bounce back here in game two. Uh, I believe that he will. Uh, you know, he's a, an excellent player. So we'll, we'll see, you know, how that all shakes out. Uh, I don't want to talk about Ben Simmons any more than probably like a minute's move. Uh, we talked about him. I gave you my thoughts the other day. I, don't think he's long for Philly. I feel like those fans will kind of revolt against the 76ers if they bring him back, that there are other avenues that the Sixers can take with somebody like Embiid, you know, with a Curry out there, a Harris, you know, the fact that Doc's there. I just feel like they're, that, that that fan base, you know, is going to speak out, you know, loud and proud against Ben Simmons. So I don't know. You know, I, I my gut feeling is that if he does stay there smooth, that they use him a lot with the second team to get him out of his funk. Like, he has to shoot the basketball. He's too talented around the rim. He can make players better. And for him to, you know, go out and not shoot in the fourth quarter, shoot four shots or whatever the case might be throughout the entire game, th- that's not who he is. That's not the player that, you know, he needs to be or the 76ers need him to be. So I don't know if they keep him or not. I'm going to say no, but if they do, I think they really try to get him going score next year. So after a couple of days, you know, go ahead and sit back and relax and think about it. I'm not necessarily sure how you feel, but I felt like some of the reports I got from watching the TV set was that they're going to bring him back and they're going to try to work on shooting with him. I'm not sure if it's just, you know, lip service or if it's the truth, but uh, one way or another, we're either going to have Ben Simmons in Philly or not. I'm not sure is what, you know, I'm not sure what road you think that they take, but you know, what would be your plan here uh, for Ben Simmons? Like, what do you think is the, you know, the road to his, what what do you think is his path to success? You know, if he does stay with Philly. Yeah. Just hearing um, Doc Rivers, you know, speak on it a little bit, um, you know, today um, I was kind of agreeing with him as far as, you know, the plan or whatever he was talking about having for, for Simmons, and, you know, just for the simple fact of, you know, I know a lot of people want to, you know, trade him and, and throw him away to the to the wolves and burn his jersey up and all of that type of stuff. But you got to think, like, it's, he's still 24 years old. And, you know, they were the number one seed, you know, one of the number one, number two defense in the league. He was a large part of that, you know, with his versatility to really be able to guard you know, uh, one through five, you know, I really thought he was the defensive player of the year this year instead of Rudy Gobert. And, you know, for, for, for him and their coaching staff, whatever their plans are for him, it's just about, you know, um, helping him understand how valuable and how impactful he needs to be for this team. And, you know, not just, um, you know, he doesn't have to be a guy to score, you know, 25 or 20 points a night. You know, he can consistently give you 15 to 18 points tonight like he's been doing. But the biggest thing with him is just his confidence and, and, and being aggressive. Um, you know, I don't watch too much, you know, the debate shows that much anymore. But I did catch a clip of Stephen A. Smith talking about um, him reporting 
you know, some some close ties that he has to the team out there because he spent majority of his career covering the Sixers, and they were talking about how, you know, um, the previous coaching staff would, you know, baby him and, and not really push him to work on the things he needs to work on. So, you know, moving forward, I think that'll change. Um, you know, if, if, if Simmons isn't open to that, then I definitely see them, you know, looking to trade him. But the thing when it comes to, you know, trading a player like that, it's like there can't be any any questions about uh there can't be any questions about losing the uh losing the trade or if you won the trade or not. Like if you're gonna move a piece like him, you have to guarantee yourself that you won the trade. So if you know, hypothetically speaking, if they were to move him, you know, I think uh maybe a De'Aaron Fox would be, you know, as far as like, you know, age and money and, and fit you know, improving offensively while still maintaining, you know, um, a good enough defense to win. You know, I think that would be uh, a sensible, you know, trade or whatever like that. But, you know, I'm more on the side of, of keeping Simmons and, you know, um, uh, improving like his confidence and, and keeping him aggressive to really see what that looks like, you know, for a whole season and in the playoffs. You know, for me, Smooth, I think a lot of the issue here with, with, Simmons is just it's today it's 2021 you know they might have been able to to deal with it and and go through the motions and hold off the masses and you know all the people with their picketing signs and stuff like that you know back in 2006 but you know in the year of 2021 you know social media does have a whole hell of a lot to do you know with players you know staying or coaches staying I mean go back to last year and you can keep it in Philly if you want to Look at Carson Wentz. The guy had one bad season. They ran the guy out of town. Doug Peterson had a bad season. They ran him out of town. And it's just like, I mean, you could go through a lot of these, you know, situations where, you know, NBA coaches, they don't last or, you know, somebody's always on the hot seat. But that hot seat is, it's just so much more, it's quicker to get hot than it used to be. Same thing with the players. You know, it's, he don't work, get him out of here we live in a world today where everything needs to be now. It needs to be quick. You know, we want to scroll left, scroll right, you know, click here, click there, like this, hit that button, hit that button. Everything's just quick, quick, quick. And it seems like people just don't have patience, you know, in this day and age. And unfortunately, you know, when somebody like Ben Simmons goes out and he has a series that he has, you know, yeah, everybody does want to go ahead and get rid of him. you know, at the end of the, you know, when, when things don't go well, I particularly don't, think Simmons is a good fit with that team I think there's other people you could bring in to do Ben Simmons kind of things that can still help them win and maybe get over the hump we might never know we, we might not know but um, I really don't want to talk much more about the 76ers because uh, they're out of the playoffs why don't we go ahead and talk about the game that's going to occur tonight between the Suns and the Clippers Suns are going to be on the road they have a two nothing lead right now Clippers are going to be a home dog Chris Paul, he's going to be back tonight. Right now, the Suns laying one, one and a half. They opened up right around as a, uh, I think it was a one-point underdog. I did see some pickums out there as well. So I'm not sure how you feel about the Suns and Clippers tonight's move, but which way are you going in that one? Yeah, I'm liking the Suns. Uh, some of the, we got enough of the early action uh, coming in on pregame that, you know, majority of the tickets are coming in on the Clippers. And, you know, with the Suns being uh, a small road favorite, you know, I think opening up at one, uh, moved into some spots up to one and a half. Um, 
I think it's a sharp play to the Suns with some reverse line movement. And I think we're getting them getting Chris Paul back. Uh, I think that's going to be a boost for them. Um, you know, also with him being two games away from reaching the NBA Finals for the first time and just seeing how well this team has been playing um, throughout this series, throughout this playoffs. Actually, I think they're the, the best team, you know, left playing the most consistent ball, whether they're on the home, at home or on the road. Um, and, you know, the the adjustments that the Clippers have to make, um, I don't think they're going to be as easy to make uh, against this team, you know, because of um, them going up against Gobert uh, last series. Um, I think Aiden's a lot more physical, a lot more athletic around the rim. So it's uh, going to be tough to, to handle that. And, you know, I think the market is, uh, you know, believing in the Clippers because they've been able to come back um, down from being down 2-0 in their previous series against the Mavs and the Jazz. But, you know, those game threes um, happened, you know, with Kawhi. And he had pretty big performances in those games as well. So he's going to be out again. And, you know, I think that has to take a toll on his team at some point, you know, to come back from, you know, 2-0 against some really good teams. And now you're going to be without your best player against the team that's playing the best basketball left. So, you know, I'll take the Suns, you know, as a small road favorite and, you know, looking like a, a a reverse line, you know, sharp play, you know, on them. I understand the Clippers have to win this game, but I don't think the line makes any sense at all. Like, I just think it's completely off for two reasons. One, insert Chris Paul. Two, subtract Kawhi Leonard. That's got to be a six-point adjustment to the betting line. And it's only at one and a half. I understand that you have to kind of look at the Clippers as in, you know, they're in a must-win situation. But I do worry about the Clippers coming into this game. Me personally, I felt like the last game kind of got stolen from them a little bit. Like, they probably should have won that game. But look, Monty Williams called an excellent play. Aiton got to the basket. You know, Zubak was a non-factor. And they ended up pulling out the win. It was a big win, you know, for the Suns. I wonder what the Clippers are going to do with their lineup smooth because as I look through the box score, I noticed that Zubak had 34 minutes in the last game, and he was a player that, you know, in that Dallas series, you know, he really couldn't use him. And then in the Jazz series, I don't want to say they really couldn't use him. I felt like they could have used him uh, in certain spots, but, you know, he didn't get a whole lot of run in that series either. But it seems like now, you know, that the Clippers have gone back to him. I worry that the Clippers are worried that now that we're down 0-2, that didn't look good for Zubak, you know, pretty much giving up that alley-oop there. I wonder if they start scrambling their lineup up and if we see Batum back in the starting lineup and what that's going to do. So I don't know what the Clippers do. I think they scramble one way or another. I'm with you. I like the Suns. I don't think the line's right. I think the line is absolutely wrong. I would actually have the Suns favorite in this one right now with Chris Paul in there and no Kawhi Leonard. Maybe the Suns like minus four. Minus one, one and a half just doesn't seem right. And if I could get, you know, maybe a minus 120, minus 125 on the money line, uh, I'll go ahead and I'll play Phoenix for sure. You know, what do you make of Zubak? And what do you think the Clippers have to do? You know, let's just say PG, Reggie Jackson, and the role players. You know, do they have to go out and play their best game, you know, that we've probably seen in a while in order to get over the Suns team? Because, as you mentioned, they're probably playing the best out of any team right now. They've won, what, 10 in a row? Uh, this team's just rolling. They have a ton of confidence. Now let's go back to game two. Devin Booker didn't even play his best game. He might have played one of his worst games in, in the entire playoffs. 
So it's going to be a daunting task here for the Clippers. I'm with you. I'll take the Suns, but uh, you know, with the questions that I asked you, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with you on Zubac, and probably take it a step further. Um, uh, nothing against him, but you know, the playoffs are all about matchups, and I, this has just been a to a bad matchup of teams for him to go against because all of them have had, you know, elite guards that excel in, in pick and roll action, whether it was Luka Doncic their first round or Donovan Mitchell in the second round. And now, you know, you had Devin Booker to deal with, and now you got the mid-range, mid-range King coming back for game three and Chris Paul. And, you know, just going back and watching his performance in that game four against Denver where he had 37 points, and knocked down 10 or 11 straight mid-range shots with Nikola Jokic playing that drop-style coverage of defense on that pick-and-roll. Um, you just got to know that he's going to come out and, and look to hunt that out against Zubak if he's out there for 30-plus minutes again. Um, so even if they do make the adjustments by pulling him off the court and inserting Batum in the starting lineup and playing that small ball, then I think the Suns will just feature, you know, Aiden, you know, rolling towards the basket more or and guys like Devin Booker and – um you know, Cameron Payne and Mikael Bridges, you know, getting to the basket, you know, since they wouldn't have any shot blocking or, you know, somebody at the rim, you know, protecting the paint for the Clippers. So um, I just think the Clippers, um, they're in a pretty tough spot right now, especially then you got to throw in the fact that, you know, no Kawhi, um, you know, their best player and has come, come through big for them in games where they had to go out and have, and this is absolutely one that they had to go out and get. Um, coming off an emotional loss where they could have wrapped it up with a uh, Paul George, you know, or at least, you know, strengthen their chances of winning by Paul George, you know, making those two free throws at the end. But just with the way that, you know, they lost that game and everything that they have to deal with now and probably being a little bit fatigued, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if this was a game that got away from them late and, you know, they ended up losing by double digits maybe because, you know, it's just been, you know, having to deal with too much, you know, coming back down from 2-0, um, you know, every series you're in, you know, it's, it's tough. So, yeah, I think that's a strong play on the Suns. And, uh, yeah, Zubak, Zubak, if he's out there on the floor for 30-plus minutes, then it's a really strong play on the Suns. Now, what do you make of Chris Paul coming back? Like, we know the whole COVID thing, you know, he, he had to go ahead and sit out two games. He's coming off of, I would say, maybe one of the best games of his career in the last game against Denver where he put up 37 points just absolutely abuse them. But how do you think he comes back into this game? Do you think that maybe we see maybe a 50-50 between Paul and, and Payne, you know, for this particular game? Like, what are you looking forward to seeing? And and more importantly, I think, how are you going to know early, you know, if Chris Paul is back to normal? Because, you know, there are things that we could bet. We could, you know, live bet player props and say, you know what, that they don't look right. Um, is there anything in particular we could pull out maybe that we could look at with Chris Paul maybe to bet on him and to find out, you know, if he's right or wrong, you know, early? Um, I think this, the smarter way to go with him when he comes back is more so like a, a live bet you know, on, on player props because um, just to determine how, you know, how well he's doing after recovering from that is more so it would be something of looking at his minutes and, uh, how aggressive he is. Um, you know, we've heard a lot of different players talk about how, you know, long they've still been affected, you know, by COVID even after they've been cleared to go back and, and play. So that is something to, to worry about a little bit. But, you know, with him just being back um, improves their team uh, significantly because somebody like Campaign, 
who's been playing really well can and improves the bench. And, you know, we've also seen Chris Paul, you know, this playoff run, um, you know, pretty much out there playing on, on one shoulder and still finding a way to have some type of impact as he's gotten, you know, healthier, you know, throughout, you know, throughout the postseason. So just his presence alone, I think will uplift that team and just him being out there, you know, he'll find a way to contribute, um, you know, any way that he can. And, and then if there's really no signs of effect of him being out from missing co- uh, missing games because of COVID, then, you know, the Clippers are, are in real trouble because the last time we saw him, you know, he was eliminating the Nuggets, you know, with 37 points um, and having one of the best, you know, playoff performances we've ever seen from him and, you know, maybe uh, in the playoffs in general. So, um, yeah, the Clippers are just in a bad spot. You know, you got CP3 coming back and, um, you know, just what he can do, you know, on the court and for that team. Um, it'll be it'll be tough uh, for the Clippers to overcome. All right, so with all that wrapped up, Smooth, I do have one more question with you with the Suns, and a lot of it has to do with, you know, the Eastern Conference Finals. The fact that the Hawks won game one, I think you probably would agree maybe with me that it's at least going five games, maybe six, maybe even seven. But do you think that the Suns maybe look at the Eastern Conference Final and they look at this particular series and say, you know what, we can go into the finals as the most rested team took care of Denver in four games, took care of the Lakers in six. You know, they're, they're, it looks like maybe this one probably goes four or five games. Do you think that they even care about the rest? Because if you got a team that's playing seven games against the Nets, you know, six, seven games against the Hawks, and the Suns are going to end up being, if they are, if it is the Suns, they're going to be the team that holds home court advantage in the finals. It's like, well, now they just played seven. They just played six or seven. And it seems like the NBA – you know, that they're quick to turn around to get, you know, the next series going. So I'm guessing that, you know, if, if Phoenix is sitting home, you know, for two, three extra days and Milwaukee has to go play, you know, another game or two, that the finals are going to end up starting pretty quick and the Bucks or the Hawks aren't going to have a whole hell of a lot of rest. And then they have to travel on the road. I just wonder if you think that the Suns might be looking at like a, a rest situation and, that that might be another factor that maybe we should, you know, add into our handicap, you know, for this particular game for game three. Um, I don't think it necessarily, you know, matters too much to them versus, uh, versus, you know, just continuing to, to play great basketball. And, you know, with this being the playoffs, um, if you have a chance to win a game, like you can't throw away a game because, you know, one game could, you know, change, you know, the, the momentum of a series or, you know, give a team confidence that they saw something in that one win that could lead to another. So with them just, you know, being a team that hasn't been in the playoffs, you know, over the last few years or so, and, you know, having a, a team that, you know, finished second in the West and playing great basketball, you know, winning 10 in a row in the playoffs and, um, you know, getting Chris Paul back. Um, I think that, I think they would be more focused on, um, you know, just, winning games and, and getting series over as you know quick as possible. And if it happens to lead to them getting more rest in their opponent than it does, but I think they're just focused on playing great basketball right now and, you know, putting away series, uh, you know, when they have a chance to, because, you know, Clippers, even without Kawhi, you know, they're, you know, they've proven that they can play still, but, you know, if you have a chance to put them down and, and really take a command and lead by going up 3-0, then I think that's something that they'll be more driven by than 
you know, looking to, uh, looking at the other side and seeing what's going on in the Eastern Conference Finals because, you know, that can go, you know, four or five games as well. Or I think it can go six. I think it's going to go six, but as well as the Hawks have been playing, you know, it can go four or five if, the, if you know, if the Bucks aren't, you know, uh, aren't careful, you know, with this next game. But, yeah, I just think the Suns are a little bit more focused on just playing great basketball right now. And they are playing great. I mean, they've won 10 games in a row. I just wonder if they go into let's put us in the best situation to go ahead and, and win this damn thing. Because I feel like right now, especially the more that you and I have been talking, that the Suns are alive. Like they are alive to win this damn thing. And if they start thinking that, then they, they're going to eventually start really thinking about what's the best way for us to go ahead and get there and get that done that we might see them a little extra motivated. It's just something that I'm thinking of, you know, as a professional handicapper, you know, you have to kind of measure out, you know, a lot of different things and what to, you know, kind of put in your handicap and what not to put in there and, you know, not to overvalue certain certain aspects. But I honestly feel like the Suns right now are looking towards, you know, every avenue and every path, you know, to go ahead and get themselves to a title. So for me, I – I don't disagree with what you said, but I I also think that, you know, one of the best paths for them is going to be, you know, to end up getting some rest and sitting back and relaxing and, and really digging in the tape and trying to figure out, you know, how do we stop this team? How do we stop that team? Instead of, you know, running yourself ragged, you know, going six games or whatever the case might be. And then, you know, trying to, trying to, you know, figure out how to scramble and, and just figure it out. I'll say this and this is something that you and I haven't talked about, so I'll bring this up. I think Monty Williams, if you put him up against Coach Bud, and I don't want to say McMillan, but I just want to say Coach Bud because I think a lot of people expect the Bucks to get there. But I think that if you put Monty Williams up against Coach Bud, it's not even close. Like I feel like Monty Williams will outcoach him in the finals. He might be the best coach right now. I don't want to say in the NBA but I think we have to strongly consider that he's one of the best coaches in the league right now. I would favor him probably over any coach right now in the NBA, but let's just say it's, let's just hypothetically smooth. Just say it's, it's coach bud against Monty Williams. Like, do you feel like that there's a huge discrepancy there and that we should probably put a little bit of stock at least into the coaching like we would, you know, in the NFL? Yeah. Um, I don't, I wouldn't know. I don't think it would be huge, but it definitely be a significant, advantage to Monty Williams just seeing what he's been able to do with his team um the adjustments he's been able to make um you know guys you know coming in and out of the lineup whether it's Chris Paul uh whether it's you know not having the best game from Devin Booker and still being in a position to win it um you know and just you know just going back and just hearing him um describe that last play call that led to DeAndre Aiden getting that um game winning uh alley-oop um just him breaking down the details of of that play and you know even going back to hearing him talk to his team you know when they left the bubble after going eight and oh like um you can tell that you know he has that command in the locker room um you know de- very detail oriented uh players you know respect him and you know you have a guy like chris paul you know that that backs him as well and you know just seeing him you know, make in-game adjustments and just the style of ball that the Suns are playing now under him. Um, you know, I don't think you could have went wrong with him being coach of the year. 
you know, credit to uh, Tom Thibodeau and the job he did with the Knicks. But, you know, even a lot of, you know, former players that are analysts now that you see on TV or, you know, on Twitter and stuff like that, you know, they felt that uh, Monty Williams should have been the coach of the year. And you couldn't go, couldn't go wrong with either one. But, yeah, you know, just seeing him, you know, having him in Coach Bud in the series, um, you know, one makes, you know, adjustments on the fly and is really good at it. And Coach Bud, you know, he either doesn't or takes a while to make an adjustment. So, yeah, I, I agree with you there. You know, Monty Williams will have an edge there. You know, one of the reasons I bring that up is I've watched him coach through these playoffs. And sometimes I try to, like, watch a coach and just – I watch their facial expressions sometimes. That guy knows the game really, really well. And I'm not saying that Coach Bud doesn't, but like he knows the game really well. He knows the rules. He knows what you can do, what you can't do. And when you get a guy that that knows just as much as more than the referees, let's just say, and he understands the game at, at a really high level, X's and O's, that he might be able to just out-coach you. And um, if he has the players out there on the floor – somebody like a Chris Paul that, as you mentioned, you know, has a really high IQ, especially at the point guard position, that that, that, that to me, you know, that they could just outsmart uh, a lot of teams, you know. And, and I think we've seen that throughout the year. I mean, would they finish one game out of the number one seed? So I don't know. I just – it was just something I just wanted to bring up. I think that if that is the matchup that, um you know, that there will be a discrepancy there and we'll see – uh, a lot of heat come down on Coach Bud because, you know, we were talking, what, a little bit over a week ago that if they lost, uh, you know, if they lost, uh, I think it was game six or whatever it was against the Nets and they ended up losing that series that uh, he wouldn't even be the coach anymore. So, you know, if we're talking about that and I'm sitting here thinking and talking about, you know, Monte Williams being a way better coach, then I have to go ahead and consider that, you know, as a factor in my handicap if that series, you know, does occur. But that'll wrap up the pod, guys. We talked uh, quite a bit, a lot more than we expected, but uh, some pretty good stuff there. Big thanks to Jay Smooth for jumping on the pod, chopping up you know, all the NBA stuff. And good pick, too, by the by the way, Smooth, the other day when we gave out the, the Hawks, or not the Hawks, what was that? Uh, the under in the Suns and Clippers game, and you had the, the, the Clippers with the points. So we both hit on that one. Yeah, that was that was good, and I think I actually well, I didn't want to give it out, but I think I actually mentioned that I like the Hawks in Game One, so we'll mention it again. I'll mention it again. I like the Hawks in Game Two. I think it's just too many points, and Smooth and I we're gonna go ahead. We're gonna back the uh, the Phoenix Suns tonight. I would recommend if you can go ahead and find like a minus one twenty, minus one twenty five, just go ahead and play them on the money line just in case, because you never know what might happen. And for me. I don't want to lay one and a half points, you know, when the line's that low, even though I think it's wrong. I think that line should be like four. But that'll wrap up the pod, guys. Once again, I'm Sleepy J. You guys can find me on Twitter at SleepyJ underscore pregame. That's Jay Smooth. You guys can find him at Smooth underscore 702. And you can find us both on the best sports betting information site on the web, pregame.com. With that, I'd like to wish you guys all the best of luck on your Thursday. Enjoy the games.